It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, June 17th, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, it's a very warm day here in Austin, Texas, and we are back in our studio, live in the studio, and Art Mendoza, the Compass Entertainment producer of this program, is with us to make the show run, and we have a packed and great show in store for you, as usual. (laughs) In a little while after the break, um, lecturer at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and educator for 20 years, as well as director of 21st Century Literacy, Josh Beach is joining us once again right here in the studio to continue our discussion together of his book, How Do You Know? A look at how today's citizens need to be able to understand how to evaluate knowledge, peacefully debate knowledge, and productively use knowledge for both both personal decisions and public policy, especially in this post post-truth era. This is really important these days. Um, It was a very interesting discussion last time he was on, and so we're going to continue with it. And later in the program, Rochelle Rabone will be joining us from Dallas to talk about children's music, and we'll be playing some of her music, I believe. And Along the way, last week I talked about the American Psychiatric Association's stand against separating children at the border, and this week the American Psychological Association joined them and also came out against this practice. And so I will be talking about the detrimental effects psychologically of separating children from families at the border And we also will have a special guest on, um, Jessica Rubio, who will be joining us from Latino Victory. And she is going to talk about today's march in El Paso to end this practice. And um, they were marching today right near where they're building tents to put children uh, up in this 100-degree-plus Um, temperature Texas summer. So she's going to talk about that and the reason they marched and how it went. And so I think this is going to be a very interesting discussion and I hope that it um, increases awareness so we can do something to change it. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at 
drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And if you do have questions, be sure to call or email while the guests are, are here in the studio or on the phone so they can answer your questions. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, drmarakarpel.com, and the podcast, along with any links that are talked about on the program, will be posted later tonight or early tomorrow morning. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's D-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And for information about previous programs, to listen to previous programs or read my blog from Huffington Post and ThriveGlobal.com, find out about my upcoming book that's coming out this summer, uh, or anything else. (laughs) It's a one-stop shop. You can download my free online meditation as well. Go to my website, drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can also hear all of the previous programs that we have done with Blog Talk Radio by going directly to their website, blogtalkradio.com, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And for up-to-the-minute information about upcoming shows and blogs that, that I write and my book and anything else new related to the show or the book or my articles, Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And also my new Facebook page for my book, The Passionate Life by Dr. Mara Carpell. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City practicing here in Austin, Texas, and in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I have a specialty of working with seniors and for, with caregivers and for the past few years have been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And part of the time, my office is in the wonderful Veterans Resource Center, Heroes Night Out, which is located in Cedar Park, Texas. And for information about this great resource for veterans and for veterans' families, you can check out their website at heroesnightout.org. Want to contact me? Do you have a question or a comment, something that you think I need to know about? Send me an email to Dr. Mara, D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, or go through my website, or give me a call at 512-626-6973. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by Dr. Ronald Devere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss everything you want to know but forget to ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can call him at 512-261-7909 or send him an email to rdevere, that's R-D-E-V-E-R-E, at austin.rr.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is also sponsored by StoryHouse. StoryHouse gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse over to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. 
Story House, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. All right, we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere because we're going to be right back, and when we come back, Josh Beach will be right here in the studio to talk about his book, How Do You Know?, and about 21st century literacy. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. All right, and this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years, and I am here with Josh Beach, who is the um, director of 21st Century Literacy and the author of the book, How Do You Know, as well as a professor at the University of Texas, San Antonio. So welcome back, Josh. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, And we had a great time talking last week. Um, last week, last time you're on the show, it feels like it was feels like it was last week. Yeah. Doesn't it? it was about two months ago. Um, about your book and about how do how do we know how mm-hmm. do we know what's real and what's not real? Um, so I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. There's so much to talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah. So first, though, why don't you talk a little bit about what is 21st century literacy? Yeah, it actually is a companion to the book. Um, as I was writing that book, the book really took me the better part of 20 years. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of a culmination of everything I've been reading and researching um, since I started college, really. Uh, but it is a, an organization focused on kind of teaching people how to know, integrated within teaching them how to read and write. Mm-hmm. And so traditional literacy is kind of focused on reading and writing. Right. But what most people don't understand, including most English teachers and other teachers that teach literacy, is that when you're being taught how to read and write, you're also being programmed with the culture. Mm. And so for thousands of years, when people went to school and they were taught how to read and write, they were also being programmed in how to be a certain kind of person that was attached to a certain ethnicity, a certain cultural program, usually you know, a power structure. And so they were focused on certain texts certain beliefs, certain ideas, and usually they were just memorizing uh, certain beliefs and traditions and then learning how to read and write those, that sacred body of knowledge. Right. They weren't taught how to think. And so that really has informed the way that we teach, even at the university, even in the West, how we teach literacy. It's kind of focused on certain sacred texts, whether they be the Bible, whether they be literature, whether they be certain kind of political ideas, 
but students aren't really taught how to think. They're just kind of programmed with a certain style of thinking, and, and that often is associated with what sociologists call schooling, mm-hmm. which is kind of playing school, as opposed to learning, which is actually learning how to know the world, how to act within that world, to be successful, set goals, achieve those goals. Right. Most students, they just play school. I'm, I'm going to play this game, I'm going to get a good grade, and then I'm just going to forget everything that you said, and, and I will forget that I've ever been here. And really, they carry nothing of value with them into the future. Mm-hmm. They've just done this kind of unthinking task called school, and they did whatever they had to do, and then they forget all about it. And so right. the organization is trying to go into schools, teach teachers a different way of teaching literacy, reading and writing, so as to teach students how to learn and actually how to generate real knowledge, which, of course, is what the book is all about. Right. That's interesting, because when you're talking about that, I was thinking about when I was a kid, <laughs> we all had to look like Dick and Jane, right? Right, right, yeah. And, then <laughs> and that's they all part lived of... in a little neighborhood right. and looked a certain way, sure. and they fit the American dream kind exactly. of life. Exactly. There was a, a set program beliefs and traditions and actions right. involved with learning to read and write. It wasn't just right. reading and writing. Even the roles of Jane versus Dick right. and the girl versus the boy. And right, certain gender yeah, stereotypes and ethnic stereotypes. I hadn't really and, thought yeah. about that. Yeah. And so, I mean, and that's part of what I think teachers need to be more aware of is that what texts are you using? How are you instructing students? And, you know, in this day and age connected to the topic of immigration that uh, that's everyone's a buzz about, but, you know, what language are you using? Mm-hmm. And even when it comes to teaching uh, within a language, their dialects and, and the, the ebonics was a big uh, uh, debate in the 90s, yes, which remember. is a, a, a specific dialect of English. It's still English, right. but it's, it's a type of English that only certain people speak. And there are many dialects and many people just take it for granted that English is this one monolithic language and there's only one way to speak it, one way to write it. And right. that's not true. I mean, every language has its gradations and dialects. And you know, when you think of a country like China, for example, in Mandarin, which is the right. primary language that we often call Chinese, there's thousands of dialects. Mm-hmm. And in different parts of China speaking this one specific language of Mandarin, you speak in a completely different way. And, and so just what language are you speaking? What language are you learning how to read and write? That in and of itself, people just don't think about that. It's just something you take for granted. And so part of thinking is thinking about not just the knowledge in your head, but how are you communicating it to who, for what reason, right. and then how do you know that's true? Right. That's interesting. This is just a very brief example, <laughs> and then I will go on to because when I was in college, freshman year, 1980, uh-huh. Russia was the Soviet Union. Sure. I decided to study Russian because my uh-huh. parents lived in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, uh-huh. which is where it was. Uh, a lot of Russians lived, sure. and all the signs were in Russian, and I had studied Spanish, and I thought, well, this would be a fun change. I could read the signs and read the newspapers and hear what the neighbors were saying. And the books that we used, people worked in factories. They talked about the good worker versus the, uh, the, the bad uh, worker uh, who sat on a bench and drank vodka. And uh, that so they were, they were the like Russian textbooks then? Or? They were Russian yeah. textbooks teaching us how to speak and Russian. So there's kind of communist-infused ideology yes, as well. Yes, comrade, uh, so-so yeah. is a good worker. And, yeah. and what, what most Americans don't realize is that, you know, they just take it for granted that we learn how to speak English and learn how to read and write in school. I was just getting this neutral, you know, technical, but no, I mean, if 
even still to this day, when people learn reading and writing in English in schools, there's a certain set of beliefs about what a good American is. Right. And, and, and in different times and different places, there have been different conceptions of what a good American is or should be. And what people don't realize is that 100 years ago, there were even in Texas, there were Germans teaching what a good American is in German to their German students. Right. Uh, there are many different groups of people that were American, immigrants from other places, speaking in their communities different home languages, Italian, German, uh, uh, you know, gradations of, uh, you know, Irish, for example, which okay. is um, very different. I mean, I guess you could say it's within the English family, uh, but Gaelic, you know, very, different. Very, very different, you know, Welsh, very different. And so you had these different communities in America teaching their children and, and the local community in their local language. And then it was really after World War One, uh, where, you know, German, German became the en enemy. And so people that taught German were no longer seen as America. Right. And that's really when the backlash against um, different ethnic groups using their ethnic languages, where they weren't considered real Americans anymore. Real Americans speak this certain kind of English. So let me ask you, how do we know? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> you know, it, it, it boils down to kind of two different frameworks for thinking about how our brain works and how we operate as human beings. Traditionally, how do you know, as we were just kind of talking about, it's being part of a culture, a group of people. We talk a certain way. We eat certain foods. We dress a certain way. We take this all for granted. We know what everyone else knows in our local community. We can see it. We don't really have to think about it. We've been programmed. When I, when I think about it, what's the right answer? This is the right answer. How do I know that's the right answer? Because everyone knows that's the right answer. Right. We all know it's that. Common sense. We don't have to, it's common sense. It's just been programmed into us. And so for most people, most places, still to this day, how do you know? It's just you know because you know. Because when you when you ask yourself this question, there's this answer in your brain already. You got it from your parents and your pastors and your priests and your teachers and the whole community thinks in a certain way. So let me ask you this. You know, in today's what's going on right now in this country, there we get very different information from different people right. who call themselves the experts. Right. Different television stations even. Right. The news stations, one news station tells you one thing and another one tells you another. People who are in high levels of authority right. say things. And, you know, um, for example, I'm going to be talking about the immigrants and I said the American Psychological Association, the American Psychiatric Association, they have very specific feelings about the damage of removing children from parents. It doesn't matter the politics. They're not political organizations. But then you have other people who are in authority saying that's not true. Right. They're not psychologists. They're not mental health professionals. And people who want to believe the people in authority will say to me, well, you don't know what you're talking about, even though Right. I, I am a mental health professional right. in my field. So how do we deal with that? How do we Well, so there, there is the traditional way of knowing that I just talked about. And so when we think about experts, when we think about authorities, what does that word actually mean? Well, in the traditional way of thinking, these are magic people, whether uh -huh. they're, you know, popes or priests or presidents or kings or aristocrats or celebrities most people have this certain sacred or magical category of people that they call celebrities. And for some people, scientists are part of this magical club. Now, what is science? Most people can't tell you. 
All they know is that scientists are magicians and these, they can wave their magic wand and then you have a cell phone where you can talk to someone on the other end of the planet. So the other way of knowing is called science. And science isn't magic, although a lot of people think it is. Science is a set of procedures and processes whereby we can kind of leave behind our traditional ways of knowing, use very specific tools, join with a larger community. And that community actually is a critical community. And so the, the take it for granted truth with the scientists is that no single scientist can ever know by themselves. Wow. And our brain is constantly making mistakes, mistakes that most people are not aware of. And so scientists are about judging each other and what they think they know and, and arguing and criticizing. And the foundation is trying to get beyond our brain and our eyes and our beliefs and to investigate the objective world with our tools and sometimes with our eyes we can see the phenomenon. But when we, we're talking about bacteria, we need to use tools like microscopes. When we're talking about the cosmos, we need to use telescopes, very big, very small things. We need to use special tools but we're using tools, we're using our eyes, we're gathering information, and then we're trying to be very careful to leave behind the flaws of our brain and the biases that we have and to focus on that information and to focus on what the community sees together, weeding out error, and then establishing a more refined and better, not perfect, but better form right. of knowledge. And so when the APA says, we know this to be true, it's not based on whims and feelings and beliefs. It's based on a community of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of, of specially trained individuals who have spent decades, you know, many decades, researching the world, criticizing the research they've generated, and trying to refine what do we actually know. And so there, there's a very famous uh, quote uh, by a psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, he was giving a lecture on knowledge and the biases of our brain to a class of undergraduates at uh, UC Berkeley. And after this lecture, he was kind of getting feedback from the students and a student in the back said, yeah, 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 that's all well and great. But, you know, it says you, 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 what do I care? And Daniel Kahneman kind of responded and he said, you know, your ignorance is not as good as my knowledge that your beliefs and what you think is, is sufficient and what you know to be true based upon you sitting in a chair, having lived, you know, 20, 21 years maybe, uh -huh. read a few books, you, you haven't really done any work to know about anything, you don't have a right to say that you know something. You don't know that you know anything. You just uh -huh. have certain things in your head. Whereas I have spent... You know, by that point, you know, decades, uh, Daniel Kahneman, uh, one of the most uh, prestigious universities in the world, uh, he had earned the right to say that he knew some things. And when you talk to him, when you read his books, you, you recognize that he will tell you straight up, and as most scientists will, that there is so much that they don't know. And they're mm -hmm. very aware of their ignorance. And they're never going to overstep. And they're always qualifying. I know this because of this evidence. However, this evidence could be incomplete or insufficient. And we only know this right now. New evidence can come along and then that could change what we know. Scientists are usually very humble and very uh, circumscribed in what they, what they know. And, and they're not going to say it's going to always stay this way. But basically, the evidence we know right now, this is what we know. Right. And so it's, it's, it's just a different way of thinking. The more, right. The more I know, the more that I know, I don't know. Exactly. Right? Socrates. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the scientific method because that is based on not proving facts, but actually trying to disprove what you think you know. Right, 
right. all about all scientific experiments. You're trying to disprove right. what you think you know. Yeah, and that was a famous uh, conception by Karl Popper, a uh, uh, philosopher in the 1960s and 70s, that science is not just trying to know things by gathering, gathering evidence, but it's also trying to criticize what people say they know, trying to find all the flaws and, flaws and mistakes. And if you can't find any flaws, mistakes, well, that's a pretty good sign that you do actually know something. But don't get too safe in that knowledge right, because something could <laughs> always come along. And, you know, just because the sun has risen for thousands of years, always in the same place at the same time, doesn't mean that tomorrow an asteroid can't hit Earth and blow it all away. Right. Or the sun could be extinct. I mean, just because something has always happened, we have all this evidence, the world, the universe, it's constantly changing, and things could be different tomorrow. We don't know. Right. And so we always need to have provisional. Yes, we know this, but let's keep gathering more evidence and testing what we know. Maybe it could be different tomorrow. So what do you think accounts for the fact that people just immediately come to a conclusion and they say, well, I don't believe you. I believe my favorite right. hero over there. Um, is it laziness? Well, it, it is. I mean, part of it's part of what uh, Daniel Kahneman, to return back to him, won the Nobel Prize uh, a few years back. Uh, his seminal book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a culmination of his 30 years of research with his partner, Amos Traversky. Um, the two types of thinking that he talked about, fast and slow. Most of the time, as humans, our brain is kind of in an automatic pilot and it's making decisions that we're not always aware of very fast, often based on emotion, an older part of our brain, a more primitive part of our brain. And so we just make these quick decisions. And we don't want to take a lot of time thinking, weighing evidence, trying to disconfirm, trying to think about, am I seeing this right? Am I making any mistakes? That takes a lot of work. Uh, there, there's other psychologists that talked about the cognitive miser, that we have this kind of crotchety older person in our brain that doesn't want to do a lot of work and uh -huh. just wants to make quick decisions as quickly as possible, with the least amount of energy, that's the default setting in our brain. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it does boil down to how do I just make a relatively quick and easy decision based upon what I already know? And one of the basic ways we do this is that we have a tendency to use our working memory, uh, information that has been in our brain you know, fairly recently, we're always going to prize that and, and listen to that over information in our long-term memory that we learned a long time ago because it takes longer to kind of think and retrieve older memories out of that uh, uh, long-term memory and then bring them into our working memory think, okay, how to remember this? What, what is it? And it's just, that's a lot of work and effort. Mm -hmm. And, and you, then your memory kind of distorts things as well. And you have to, am I remembering, the, remembering this accurately? Well, do I need to go find that book? And what was that? It's just a lot of work, and a lot of time. It's just quicker and easier. Okay, when's the last time I thought about this? That was the answer. That's the answer again. You know, you, you just want to make that quick automatic decision. And, you know, there's a certain uh, logic to that. And, and many scientists, including Dan, Daniel Kahneman, would say that, you know, it would just be debilitating for us to be scientists for every little decision in, in, in our day-to-day -day lives, weighing all the evidence of what, you know, what gl a glass of water should I drink and is that water clean and what am I going to pull out of the refrigerator? What's the best thing to eat? And, right. You know, how, what soap and what shampoo? And it, it would just be exhausting to apply that to everything in our day-to-day -day lives, every minute, every second. And so we really do need to rely on those. And we need to choose the quick, areas. automatic. But we, yeah, we need to think about is this important information, you know, that other people could be relying on 
friends and family? Do we need to spend a little bit more time oh, thinking more. about this decision rather than the toothpaste or the retro cereal right. or whatever else that we're you know doing? And then we need to turn on that slower, rational, critical thinking, weigh evidence, begin to think about multiple perspectives, thinking about flaws and errors that we might be making, and then to engage that slower form of thinking, which takes a lot more effort, a lot more work, a lot more time, to try to arrive at what is really true here before I make this decision, before I take out this loan or you know, enroll in this but school or makes, marry this person. Yes, I mean, it <laughs> could be disastrous. Right. Uh, but, you know, people are primed to automatically to, 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 to do that quick way of thinking. And, and you can see why. It's, it's, yeah. it's easier and, and it's more comforting. And it's, yeah. So, in the two minutes we have left, time goes by so fast. How can people find out about your book uh-huh. and purchase it? And how can they find out about 21st century literacy or find out more about you? You can go to my website, uh, jmbeach.com. Jmbeach is my pen name. Uh, Jmbeach.com has links to the book. It has links to the website, 21st Century Literacy, which is the uh, organization. Uh, The 21st Century Literacy Organization can be found at 21centurylit.org. And that is a free textbook, uh, which is based on the book, How Do You Know?, Uh, geared more towards uh, high school students and college students. Uh, It covers some of the same material that's in the How Do You Know book. There's a lot of new material um, that is more pertinent to teaching students how to read and write and to Uh develop their critical thinking skills. Uh, But both can be found on my personal website, jmbeach.com. jmbeach.com, and I'll put that on my website. Great. Yeah. So great. Thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me. We need to keep talking about this sure. because <laughs> it's important topics. So important. People need to hear it. Yes. You know, think it through. Right. Engage that slow thinking and, yes. and, and make that rational decision. But also, you know, just be aware that you are on this automatic fast thinking most of the time, and that if you realize that you have certain problems arising in your life, it might be because the automatic pilot, automatic pilot is on. You might want to go and rethink some of those oh, decisions that you and and engage that slow thinking. Good point. Good point. All right. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. And we're going to take a brief break and we have a lot more to come. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I almost spoke all the words that I wanted to say. I almost saw what you look like, bless your wall. But almost doesn't count anymore. And a sure thing. Never will You almost felt All the things that I dream about 
And you almost heard All the songs that I sing out loud But almost doesn't count anymore And a sure thing Never will So many things Are so Trivial to me When I see All the world Around me And at times I forget the simplicity of it all, of it all. Medicare beneficiary help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And before I go on to talk about the next topic, let me just fill you in on some news. So there's news about my book, um, the final manuscript to the layout team, and they're working on just making it look pretty. Um, and the cover is done. If you want to see what it looks like, you can check it out on my Facebook page, The Passionate Life by Dr. Mara Carpell. And so that has also been sent to 
with the layout. Um, as soon as we approve the layout, then it goes on to printing. So the book is really on its way. It's complete, and we're just tweaking the uh, physical part of it and how it looks. And um, it will be out this summer. I believe it will be out in July on ebook, And then in October is when the big launch is where it's available um, in soft cover from your favorite booksellers in addition to the ebook. And during the summer, we'll be running a sale. So you might want to catch it on ebook for 99 cents because then it's going up to full price in October. Still not very paperbacks are not very expensive, but you might want to get a jump on it with a 99. Who could beat that? A 99 cent book. Um, so that is exciting. And um, next Sunday we're we're running a an encore on the radio program because I will be going to L.A. today and won't be returning till Sunday um, to have an intensive strategy meeting with the uh, publisher and with my editor, book, you know, writing coach, etc., to talk about how to let people know about the book, how to get more exposure, and um, come up with some things that I can offer people once they read the book. So the name of the book is The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, and it is on its way, um, almost ready for you to read. All right, so that's the big news, and I will leave it right there. And so last week, um, if you were tuning in, I talked about the issue of what is going on along the border um, with regard to separating children from their parents. And um, I want to say that this is um, not a law. It is a brand-new policy that was begun in May of this year, 2018, that when people arrive at the border with their children, the children are automatically taken from them. And that applies even to people who are there legally requesting asylum. Now, they may eventually get their children back, but they have no idea when or if because they have to go through the system. And meanwhile, the children are housed in various settings around the country. There's one in Brownsville that's in an old Walmart, that, and now they are um, opening a tent city in El Paso in the heat of the summer in El Paso, and no amount of air conditioning can cool off those tents. Um, and as I mentioned um, last week, that it doesn't really matter. I mean, of course it matters the conditions the children are in, but even if they were in five-star hotel conditions, the American Psychiatric Association came out last week, and now this this week the American Psychological Association came out with the same statement that um, against removing children from their parents at the border, no matter what decisions are made about immigration. This is not a political issue. This is not an immigration issue. This is about a policy that forcefully removes children from their parents and that has detrimental, long-term detrimental, psychological, emotional effects 
on the children into adulthood. And I mentioned last week that I was interviewed for KVEO, which is NBC in uh, the Rio Grande Valley right there in Brownsville, where it's happening, um, one of the places where it's happening. And they aired it um, this um, last Monday. And um, basically, my basic point was it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, what your religious beliefs are, what your ethnic background is, what matters is the children. And we do know as psychologists, mental health experts, and now we have the entire mental health community uh, behind it, that children um, who are removed from their parents at a young age suffer um, great of psychological and emotional consequences into adulthood. Um, so much so that family court judges and um, child protective services do not remove children from their parents unless there is actual proof that there is more danger with the parent than there would be um, taking them from the parent. They know the psychological consequences of removing children from their parents, and they, it's a cost-benefit at that point. So they will not remove children unless there is an absolute imminent danger to that child. Um, now, the American Psychological Association, the American Psychiatric Association, are not political organizations. Um, they do not come out with political statements. Everything that they make a statement about has um, scientific research that has been done for, for, as Josh talked about, for decades and decades. And this is based on research about children who are removed from their parents no matter what the situation is. And, um, in fact, the American Psychological Association and the American Psychiatric Association are the group who come out with the diagnostic and statistical manual for which um, that, that's used by every mental health practitioner to make diagnoses. And uh, you can't receive um, insurance unless you have a diagnosis based on that diagnostic and statistical manual, the DSM. And even the, Ameri the uh, Veterans Administration uh, will not allow any diagnosis to be made unless it is done by a psychiatrist or a psychologist and is based on the DSM. And, in fact, any psychologist who works, who does evaluations, works for the VA or contracts with the VA or subcontracts for the company that contracts with the VA, every single one of us has to have gone to um, graduate school, has gone to a program that is approved by the American Psychological Association and that we did an internship that was approved by the American Psychological Association. So these are very big organizations. They're very well established and they are not political. They work with the VA, obviously. You have to, you know... Um, and they came out. So last week I read the American Psychiatric Association, and in it they said any forced separation is highly stressful for children and can cause lifelong trauma as well as increased risk of other mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. 
The evidence is clear that this level of trauma also results in serious medical and health consequences for these children and their caregivers. Many families crossing the United States border are fleeing war and violence in their home countries and are already coping with the effects of stress and trauma. These children deserve our protection and should remain with their families. So that was the American Psychiatric Association. Now, the American Psychological Association came out with a similar um, statement this week. Um, and I just want to bring up, so the reason that it is so detrimental to children is that we know as mental health experts, um, and that certainly, I'm not just speaking for myself, but the American Psychological Association, American Psychiatric Association, are made up of a group of experts. We know that attachment security in childhood, knowing that your parent is always going to be there for you, um, is vital to healthy development in children into adults. And that's physical development, cognitive development, thinking, being able to think clearly, and emotional development. And when children lose a parent through either through death or separation in any way, it affects them for the rest of their lives. And, you know, some children get through it and are lucky enough to have therapy to help them through it. Um, but many of the adults that I've seen in my 26 years as a psychologist, I work with the adults, many have PTSD or depression or anxiety that was caused in childhood. And some of those childhood traumas include losing a parent or being forcibly separated from a parent. So even if it only lasts a few months, and let's say in a few months after the parents go through the court system and they get back with their children, the damage has already been done. Um, so imagine for a moment that um, you're a child, and you might remember this, and I brought this up last week as well, and you lose sight of your parent in a grocery store. If you can remember that feeling of sheer terror at that moment when you didn't, you thought you were all alone in that grocery store and you couldn't see your parent, imagine that going on for days and weeks or even months and the people that are caring for you are complete strangers. You're in crowded rooms with other children who are crying for their mothers or maybe you're even in a hot tent. Um, you don't get outside the sunshine, which I've heard in the Brownsville facility, they only have two hours of outdoor time. This is traumatic. This is traumatic. And so I'm going to read to you the APA, American Psychological Association statement. The administration's policy of separating children from their families as they attempt to cross into the United States without documentation is not only needless and cruel, it threatens the mental and physical health of both the children and their caregivers. Psychological research shows that immigrants experience unique stressors related to the conditions that led them to flee their home countries in the first place. The longer that children and parents are separated, the greater the reported symptoms of anxiety and depression for children. 
Negative outcomes for children include psychological distress, academic difficulties, and disruptions in their development. The American Psychological Association calls on the administration to rescind this policy and keep immigrant families intact. We support practical, humane immigration policies that consider the needs of immigrants and protect particularly immigrant families. We must adopt policies that take into account that we know about the harmful, long-term psychological effects of separation on children and their families. This is not an acceptable policy to counter unlawful immigration. And the American Psychological Association in Washington, D.C. is the largest scientific and professional organization representing psychology in the United States. So, again, these are not political statements. These are based on um, research in psychology. And um, I found some articles about the effects of removing children from their families. Um, what happens emotionally within a youngster when a child is taken away from his or her parent or caregiver? How has the research on human development helped us explain a young child's verbal stutter or toddler's avoid, approach avoidance behaviors? Um, all youngsters possess a strong intrinsic motivation, a strong wish to verbally express themselves. When undue separation is imposed on an infant or toddler, in that child's eyes, this need for verbal expression is overpowered by feelings of loss and fear. This is how the child experiences undue separation. And the child can feel forcibly silenced as a result. So this can actually cause stuttering in children. Separation from parents can cause stuttering that goes into adulthood. Um, it can cause um, elective mutism where children stop talking. Um, so let me find some other research. During the first year of life, go, here we go. Separating a parent and child can have profound negative effects even when it's necessary Research indicates that removing children from their homes interferes with their development. The more traumatic the separation, the more likely there will be significant negative developmental consequences. Okay. So on that note, we're going to go to our um, caller. We have uh, Jessica Rubio of Latino Victory, who was at the march this morning in El Paso to end separating children from families at the border, and she is joining us right now from El Paso. Are you there, Jessica? Yes. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. No, thank you very much for the invitation. So, so Jessica, um, can, you were at the march this morning yourself, weren't you? Yes, we were there, and we were also helping out with the planning of this event. Um, I think it, it was completely necessary to do this. So what was the event about? Maybe you can explain to our listeners why you were there and where it was and what was going on. <laughs> Definitely. 
So back in May, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that the administration uh, was going to start a policy called zero tolerance. Um, and basically what this means was that for anyone caught by Border Patrol illegally crossing the border or asking for um, uh, for the administration to um, to have asylum or any type of relief on that end, they were going to be um, basically um, treated as if they were, let's just say, if a family was crossing and were asking for asylum, they were going to be separated and the minors were going to be treated as unaccompanied minors. Um, and basically what this means is that a lot of children started to um, be detained in these facilities and in just six weeks um, they separated nearly 2,000 children from their loving parents um, and since they didn't have any more space, this week the Trump administration uh, decided to open up um, 10 cities where they were going to start placing children. Um, so that's why we decided to do this action because this past week, uh, only a few days ago, that's when the announcement happened. And I think we, they already have over 200 kids in this facility at Tornillo, Texas, um, children are being um, holded in inhumane conditions. So they're living in tents in the heat. Exactly. Um, we had, I mean, I am from Phoenix, Arizona, and in Phoenix we have had uh, a tent city for adults um, that was hosted by uh, Sheriff Yor Pio, and as soon as he was taken out of office, that tent city was taken away because um, the sheriff basically highlighted the inhumane conditions for um for the people that were uh, holding at this facility. And so if we think about this, if that facility was not appropriate for adults, how are these new facilities appropriate for kids? Right, right. So I know we talked about this earlier, but are these um, tent air conditions? They are. So the government says that there are air conditions, but still, um, once you hold uh, a tent outside for a long time, um, I mean, with the sun and um, there is no, basically it's like, I don't know, it's just really, really hot inside. And even if you have air conditioning, it's really, it, it's impossible to be at the same temperature as any other building because you don't have that protection from concrete. You don't have that protection. Um, it's exactly the sun going through plastic. Mhm, mhm, yeah, I can imagine I can imagine um, so you said there were already two hundred children living in those tents, yeah, that's so at the beginning, I think it was Friday when I heard that um they had about ninety uh children in this facility, and that they were going to continue to uh, drive and get other children to be there, but their capacity is up to 450 children, and they're also thinking about expanding this um, 10 city. So they're planning to hold even more children in this facility. That is insane. How are you able to join to um, 
grow this and also like jo- hold over like thousands of children. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you: Do you know what the what the or the youngest age is that they're taking to these facilities or or to this tent city? How how young how young are they? We are not sure right now, but some of the uh, comments that I heard from local organizers here during the march is that um, they had children um, from like 10 years old, 15 years old, um, Mm -hmm. that were actually going to be transferred. So I'm not sure exactly what age they're starting, but that's that's what I heard this morning from local organizations. Right. Do you know where the younger children are? I mean, I, I've seen pictures of these babies being taken away. Um, where are they going? I think um, the government has other facilities um, here throughout Texas and then also in New Mexico where they're uh, holding these children after they separate them from their families, um, where it's a mix of um it's like a government facility, but then at the same time, they they have ICE enforcement in those facilities, um, which, I mean, at the end of the day, is just criminalizing our community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to ask you, oh, what was the turnout today? Um, I think we had a great turnout for a 48-hour turnaround event. Um, this yeah. event we actually we actually started uh planning it with local organizations um here i think we started on friday we finally decided on a date um we decided that it was going to be sunday so uh from friday night to sunday um i mean the word got out and we saw hundreds if not i would say actually thousands of people there um that uh joined the event but Let's just be honest, this is just the beginning because we want to make sure that we hold this administration accountable to what they're doing to these children because this is just inhumane to be separating these children children from their parents. Absolutely. And, and, And what I was mentioning before you came on the program is that even, I mean, you know, putting them in a hot tent is just adding insult to injury, but even if children were living in five-star hotels, uh, the damage is already done when they were forcibly removed from their parents. And it's, you know, there are lifelong consequences emotionally for that. True. I mean, I personally was separated from my father um, through a deportation um, when I was 15 years old. And I can tell you in my personal experience um, that it is a trauma. It is not the same thing to grow up. It's also affecting your whole family, your income, the way that you live. Um, sometimes we, we had a really hard time to even get food on the table. And I am sure that that's some of the same thing that these um, these families are suffering. So um, I think definitely it is a big impact for children who are going through these conditions. It does not matter where you hold the children. At the end of the day, if you have officers checking their time and uh, telling them where to go and not allowing them to be free, it, it is the same, you know. It is the same as if they're incarcerated in any other detention center. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And even worse now with the ten city. Right. So um, I was just I had just read an article about a, a medical doctor, a pediatrician, who reported that um, she saw um, a toddler who had been removed from from her parents, and she was having temper tantrums. She was pounding her fists on the play mat, and there was no one there comforting her. And um, she was crying because she wanted her mother, and nobody could do anything for her. I mean, could you just imagine this going on all over 2,000 kids? Yeah, and that's, I mean... Think about it. I think the ratio that I heard is that it's eight um, eight children per staff member in these facilities, um, and I imagine that number is going to keep growing. Um, and they don't have the resources um, to take care of these children. So why are they separating them from their families? They're just harming yep. them for life. Yep, yep. And there are a lot of health issues that will come about as well. I know the pediatricians have come out against it, not just because of where they're housed, but because um, this kind of trauma is um, causes major health problems in children. Um, so it's really, it's really heartbreaking. Um, but I was very heartened to see the, the posts from your um, from your demonstration this morning and to see a lot of people there and I saw fathers um, on there saying, you know, I can't, I'm, I decided not to spend Father's Day with my children today. I'll see them tomorrow because this is important and I just thought that those are heroic. Those are heroic fathers. Yeah, exactly. We even had our president of the organization, Christopher uh, Alex, also took the day uh, from being with his six-month-old baby um, back in D.C., and he traveled to be here um, to be supporting this cause because how can he be celebrating Father's Day over there when all these families and all these fathers are being separated from the children? So, I totally agree. I think um, it was really uh, beautiful to see the turnout of the community, to see all the local organizations helped out and um, basically, like, put this together in less than 24 hours. It was incredible yeah. to see that and to see the support that we that we all got um, in this event. And um, it's, it's, I mean, like I said, this is just the beginning. They're going to have a big, big march on Tuesday coming up. And also, like, this is, we are going to continue to fight because we cannot allow uh, families to continue to be separated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's all about the children, you know. <laughs> no matter what what party anybody's from or ethnic background, it's all about protecting children. Yeah, exactly. We must end the criminalization of them. So so if listeners are interested in finding out more information or finding out what you're doing or, or they want to get involved, um, how can they do that? Where can they so, – is there – okay. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Latino Victory is a national organization. Um, 
they can find us online in our website. It's latinovictory.us. Um, they can reach out to us. Uh, my name is Jessica. I'm their deputy political director. So uh, you can reach out to me if you ever need anything. Um, but our website is latinovictory.us. And then also they can reach out to us by or Facebook. Um, we are really active in social media, Facebook or um, Twitter. And our Facebook account is at Latino Victory, um, the same for Twitter. So if they have mm -hmm. any questions, reach out to us uh, online and or also with um, the Twitter account. It's actually Latino Victory U.S. Um, and okay. then the Facebook, they can look at look us up as Latino Victory. Right, and I can say um, from my own experience that they are very responsive. I sent a message, and I heard back within five minutes about who to talk to about having you on the program. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we we are really grateful for the invitation. I think it is important to to put this out there to inform the community to put the truth out there and to let people know that these are the actual conditions that our children are experiencing right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I heard um, Beto O'Rourke was there. Was he there with you guys? What was that again? Was Beto O'Rourke there with you guys? Yes. Um, he was also, his campaign was really, really helpful in the planning of this whole event. And uh, he was there along with uh, Representative Joe Kennedy. Uh, we also had other representatives from local organizations. Um, so everybody was there trying to help out. Uh, we had uh, organizations like BIC. We had organizations like the Border Network um, uh, planning Border Network for Human Rights, uh, who planned a caravan. Um, from a local high school here, and then we all went together uh, as a community, right? And so uh, we had a really good turnout, and we were really grateful to have so many people uh, willing to be part of this event. Yes, great. And congratulations and good luck with the future events. I really hope it makes a difference quickly, right? The, the, yeah, the summer is going to be really hot. <laughs> yes, and uh, we came out to protest today, but we're going to continue to work with principal, um, with elected officials, um, and also with other candidates to make sure that we actually um, turn out people to vote this November and we're able to create changes, um, not just by protesting and um, defending um, this uh, going against this type of policies, but also um, creating new ones that are going to protect our families. Yes, and I just want to make one point for people who kind of might think it's a political thing, that I have seen representatives on both sides, on Democrat and Republican, who are um, on, on the same side of protecting the children, and they, they want this policy to end. Yeah, like you said, it's all about the children and protecting these young individuals who have a future ahead of them. Yes. So thank you so much for coming on to the program. And um, I will be sure to post those links that you gave me um, on my web post later this evening so that if listeners 
didn't get out their pen and paper in time, they could just go to my web post about this program later tonight, and they can just click on the links, and it'll take them right to your website, your Facebook, and your Twitter. Perfect. All right. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very okay. much for the invitation. Okay. You have a good evening, and um, and cool off after a hot day in the sun. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to stay out of the sun. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Sure. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, and we have a lot more to come, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Comes a time when you're all alone Comes a time, gotta write that song May not make any sense at all But it's up to you, keep a smile on your face Now I've been young mostly every day Just like you, don't you ever change Cause this world's getting pretty old And it's up to you, keep a smile on your face Butterflies down Butterflies down Butterflies down Now don't forget who wrote you this song Cause there'll be times you'll feel all alone in this world So Greg, don't forget this song is for Sarah Renee and you microphone problem there. Um, if you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Cartel and your golden years right here on Blog Talk Radio and on drmaracartel.com. And I just want to mention that that uh, song was for all the fathers out there, and that was Art's song, Art Mendoza singing his original song about his children, his own children. So 
Um, I want to wish all the fathers a very, very happy Father's Day. And, um, you know, and especially want to wish a happy Father's Day to fathers that um, not only are there for their children, but are there for other people's children as well, because we need all of the help of fathers uh, we can get. And, um, you know, there are children who are really in need and, There are many men out there who have given up their time, just like we heard in the previous interview, have given up their time to help other children, even children that they don't know, other people's children. And I think that that is a beautiful beautiful thing. So happy Father's Day. All right. So um, I see that Rochelle has called in, and she is our next guest. And she's going to be talking um, about her children's music. And she's joining us from Dallas, Rochelle Rabone. Uh, Rochelle, are you there? I am. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to have you back on the program. Oh, thank you so much. So, so Rochelle, maybe before we go into the interview, you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and your musical background. Okay. So my name is Rochelle Rabwin. I am what's called a, well, I'm a musician, but for the past probably 20 years, I've been what's called a master teaching artist, where I go into schools, libraries, recreation centers, prisons, um, and actually teach specific um, I get, I guess, acad- academia through my music. So I've always mm. used music um, to either for entertainment or for educational purposes. Um, I began my career with my brothers and sisters. We used to have a band, and my dad and mom uh, volunteered us, if you will, for UFO uh-huh. shows. Um, wow. And we did tours in in uh, New Mexico and um, uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's when we were, you know, in our teens and our preteens, so we did that for a while. So my dad was a um, musician. <clears throat> he wasn't in the Army band, but he even before he joined the Army, he was a top-rate musician. He played uh, trombone and um, was a classically trained musician, played trombone, but any other instrument he could possibly, you could possibly think of, he could play. But uh-huh. he also was in a um, group called the 419, uh, ASF 419th, this was back in the 1940s. It was a precursor to the USO. It was an all-black, mm-hmm. um, all-black b- uh, group of four to seven band pe- people who played I- instruments, and they tour all around, like North Africa and Europe, um, Southeast Asia, and they would go where no other musician would dare to go, and they would just put give uh, performances for people. So that's where I get that music background from. So yeah. I've been doing that since I since I was probably about uh, eight years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, I love that's it. That's an interesting history too about your dad. You know, yeah. you're following in his footsteps. Well, <laughs> exactly. But the other part of that is my mom was a librarian. So the other part of that is we she would volunteer us to do work in the libraries. So uh-huh. I've been able to combine combine both the music and the reading in everything that I do, being a master teaching artist. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So do you work in one school or you go from school to school now? 
I, I work in all different schools and all different libraries all around um, North Texas, Oklahoma, and I just mm. started in Oklahoma. So um, I've been as far as Fort, let me see, what is it, Fort Hood, and uh-huh. as far as Oklahoma City, um, Abilene to probably, I'm not sure, Tyler, I guess, Tyler, Texas. So I've been uh-huh. Houston, Austin, yeah, everywhere. It's oh, been wow. uh, It's been wonderful, yeah. That's great. So, you know, I understand you've been real busy lately with a book, a new book. I, yes, I have a new book. It's called The Loneliest Letters on Alphabet Road. And, oh, um, I it, love that title. Well, it's about it's it's really fun, and uh, one of the things that I that I've been that I have learned um, since beginning my uh, trek through uh, what's called arts and education as a as a teaching artist is that you really have to have your eyes and ears and mind open when you're working with kids because that's where your ideas come from. These little kids have so many good ideas; they don't know it. They're just saying what they think. So what happened uh-huh. with this book is I went in to do um, – a couple of teachers asked me to come in and kind of focus on the alphabet. And these were three- and four-year-olds. This was at a couple of private schools. And one of the private schools that I was um, uh, asked to come and do a program, uh, the alphabet program, if you will, and basically it was Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, which is a very famous book with the kids like and so forth and so on. But I put a little bit of music to, mu- to it and so forth. Well, what happened was I started – Talking about what we're telling the children, well, we're going to do a little story about the alphabet, and you know, if who knows their alphabet, and so forth and so on. And all of a sudden, this little girl fell out on the floor and started having a fit. Just (laughs) and then every all the teachers were everyone just froze. The children, all the other children froze because top of her lungs, ah, you know, and and so finally when they got her calmed down. I kind of pulled her to the side and said, well, why, what is it, that? What, what's wrong? Is there something I can help you with? Well, she said, I don't want to hear anything else about the, what's, the alphabets. That's all we ever do. Alphabet, alphabet, A, B, C, A, B, C. They don't do anything. Do they, do they give us candy? I mean, she went on, this is a little four-year-old child. <laughs> I said, well, what, 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 calm down. What would you like the alphabets to do? Well, can they dance with us? Can they sing to us? That's where I got the idea about the alphabet, this alphabet book. Because, wow. of course, we teach the kids, you know, the basic A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so forth and so on, which is t- after a, a period of time, those kids get bored with it because they already know the alphabet. So what I chose to do was something a little bit different, highlight the four letters of the alphabet that are the least used. So... Mm. It interestingly enough, because you never know how it's going to go. Interestingly enough, the very first time that I did the program, I got more ideas and more ideas because one of the children got up. I, I read the book. Like I said, it's the the, the four letters of the alphabet that are the least used, which is J, Q, X, and Z. Uh huh. The after I finished reading the book, we did we sang the alphabet song the first time, the regular way. The alphabet song the second time we sang it. We left out J, Q, X, and Z. You never know how it's going to go. Those kids loved it. So I said, hmm, maybe I can take it a little bit farther. Then I had them do the the alphabet back. I mean, you know, just little things come to your head when you're very spontaneous. For me, very spontaneous. 
one right. little child got up and said, I can be an ex. So she spread her, you know, lay, little feet out and her little arms out and became an ex. <laughs> so, I, so I went around the room and I said, who else can become an alphabet? So every time I do the program, these little children come up with ideas that I never think about. Or I probably have, but when I was maybe five or six. But it's right. gone, but it sure comes back when you work with them. So this book is on Amazon now. It's ready. It's for sale. It's a $12 book, but I also do a program with it. It's a uh, 45-minute program now with um, more than anything else, it's their spelling that's involved because what I ask the children, first I tell them that they know that these four letters have the smallest, smallest sections in the dictionaries and thesaurus and encyclopedias. And especially if we're in a library or a school, I always tell them, go to your library and just check. Check and see if I'm telling you the truth. And believe me, they do. And they know that they're the smallest uh, sections of the alphabet. They all, and I all also ask them, does anyone's name start with a J? Then they raise their hand. I have to ask them to spell their name. Then I ask them, can you make up a word with the letter J that we have never heard before and give it a def- definition? And I do that with all the letters, you know, J, Q, X, and Z. Uh-huh. <laughs> These kids come up. I'm not kidding you. It is never a dull moment. These kids come up with crazy words, and they give it a definition. So the uh-huh. book has been, you know, it's it's uh, relatively new. I think I, I, I kind of launched it maybe about two months ago, um, and, I've, and I'm getting ready to do some big shows right now with the book uh, as a program. So it's been a learning experience, and it's been so much fun. And it's called The Loneliest Letter on Alphabet Row? The Loneliest Letters on Alphabet Road, R-O-A-D. Row, okay. Right, right. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and I always have props. Um, As a matter of fact, what I did was I made, uh, I cut the the, uh, alphabet into um, the first 13 letters and the (laughs) second 13 letters. And I actually turned, I went to the store and found these little um, cutouts of roads, little uh, streets. And so I put uh-huh. the alphabet on each of the street, uh, each of the little streets or the cutouts. And what I do is I use them. If your if you name starts with an A, you can sit by the A, the B, so forth. And the kids love that too. Of course, they step on mm-hmm. it and tear it, but hey, that's part of the you know, part of what it's happens. Part of fun. <laughs> but they love it. exactly. They love it. Then I'll have them. You know, okay, everyone go stand by the letter J. Now you talk about uh-huh. some chaos. You know, it's it's just absolutely, and the parents love it too. That's what really makes it, you know, and they're the ones who are going to buy the book in the first place. Because if the parents don't like it, and the kids can't read it in the first place, a lot, a lot of times we're talking about uh, first, second, and third grade because the, 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 the uh, book is uh, targeted to pre-K through the third grade. But I'm coming to find mm-hmm. out that a lot of the ESL teachers are interested in it, the English Second Language and the English mm-hmm. Language Learners are using it. So, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. Trying to market the book. you got to think of all kinds of unusual and different ways to do marketing when it's a book. There's not a book like it. There's not another mm-hmm. book like it on the market. So you've That's got to great. come up with some really unique things and things that you know the kids are going to like. And if it involves jumping up and down and dancing and acting like a letter, I guarantee you they love it. Uh-huh, 
So and you said that it's available on Amazon. It is available on Amazon, and it's also available on Kindle, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So I have the Kindle version of this. And you also have um, some musical CDs, don't you? Well, the musical, we haven't gone back into the studio in about probably five years to put a new CD together. The CD that we have out is basically a children's CD. It's called Boy Tumalo. Um, and basically, we sell, sell the Boy Tumalo. And it is a collection of, of songs by uh, 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 Miriam McKeeba that I have uh, uh, done myself, my version of a lot of Miriam McKeeba songs. And they're all okay. based on South African. Tradition, and they're fun. They're just fun songs. So I have a South African show that I teach geography, history, and traditions of South Africa, and that's the CD that goes with that particular program. So yeah, okay. I have a I have a Caribbean show. We have a little CD that goes with that. We have the South African show. We have a little CD that goes with that. But yeah, and where are those available? They have to get it through me or my my guitar player, who's Stuart Shelton. If they are interested, they could just email me at gigsforrochelle at gmail dot. I'm sorry, gigsforrochelle at two at gmail dot com, and they could get the information if they if they're interested in it. it I have a little, um, I guess you would call it a blurb that talks about the the each of the CDs, what's available on them, and if they want to book us. Okay, so it's gigs for Rochelle two at gmail dot com. Correct, and okay. it's gigs g i g s the letter four, my name uh, Rochelle R O C H E L L E the number two at gmail dot com. Okay, all right. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And do you have a website where people can see, you know, can contact you or see what you're doing? I do. See if they want to. I actually hire have a you. Google website. Yeah, I have a Google website. It's kind of long, but I'll I'll tell it to you anyway. Let me uh I got to make this bigger so I can see it. It is <clears throat> https right. colon <laughs> right um backslash backslash sites.google.com backslash sites backslash kids to gigs backslash so i can is, email is that it, to you and you can go ahead yeah is it t-o or is the number two the number two all right <laughs> kids kids to gigs okay kids if to can, gigs and if you can email that to me that'd be great too but maybe I will people do that. can do a search um right now if they're interested and you have all your shows that are available um, I there. do, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now I'm I'm up to probably about a hundred different shows that I've written and uh, are available to people who are interested in booking me. Um, everything from, like I said, pre-K to I even go as high as um, the college circuit because we do um, uh, seminars for a lot and workshops for a lot of college kids who may want to go into arts and education, nonprofit arts and education, um, and be a musician. There are certain things that you do have to learn to be able to do that. And the main thing is you have to be, um, you really have to be able to improvise because you never know 
what is going to happen. Claude, I don't know if you remember the show, the kids say the darndest things. They yeah. kids say the darndest things, and they do the darndest things. So you got to be on your toes anytime you're working with kids because you never know what's going to happen. Right. If you have a background in theater, that that helps a lot. Mhm. Mhm. So, yeah. Awesome. Great. So I'm going to post that on my um, on my website. If you can send me the link, that'd be great because um, I will do I that. want people to be able to get to that. And thank you so much for coming on the program again. Um, you are so welcome. With, good luck with the book. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day. All right. You too, Rochelle. You take okay, care. Bye. All right. Good night. All right. So we have come to the end of another program. And before we go, let me tell you what's coming up. Um, well, next week, as I mentioned, we have an encore uh, show because I will be in L.A. meeting about my book. And then... Um, it's to be announced what's coming up in July. We're still finalizing a few of the guests for early July, and so I, I don't want to say it until we have a definite on those dates. But we always have good shows, so tune in, and we will. Um, you know, we'll, you'll be you'll be glad. And um, if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this program, get the link that all of my guests talked about on the program, or listen to previous shows, read my blog, find out about my book, etc. go to my website, drmaracarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And also be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel, Your Golden Ears, and my other Facebook page, The Passionate Life by Dr. Mara Carpel. And you can listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash Your Golden Ears. This evening's program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Production Productions, and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist, Dr. Ronald DeVere, and by StoryHouse. And special thanks to my guests, Josh Beach, Rochelle Rabone, and Jessica Rubio. And thank you, Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring couple of weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Comes a time when you're all alone Comes a time, gotta write that song May not make any sense at all But it's up to you, keep a smile on your face Now I've been young mostly every day Just like you, don't you ever change Cause this world's getting pretty old And it's up to you a smile on your face, butterflies down, butterflies down, butterflies down. Now don't forget who wrote you this song. Oh, yeah. Any-
Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 